So it's good to see you. Thanks again for joining us. Like Pastor Andrew said, whether you're here in the room hanging out with us or you're joining us online or you're listening to the podcast later, it is just great to be able to spend some time on Sunday with you. My name is Corey, if we haven't met, and I get to be the lead pastor here at GFC. We had a little bit of a maybe an impromptu uh, questionnaire last week where we kind of figured out who already had their Christmas tree up. We had a very stern talking to you about those of you who have fake Christmas trees as well. But how many of you now, your Christmas tree is up? Any more than last? Okay, Pastor Andrew and Amanda, they go, all right, so we're still waiting. Now, how many of you are like staunch, like it's not happening until after Thanksgiving? Anybody say that? Okay, a lot of us. All right, good to know, good to know. I will not share my feelings. No, I'm just kidding. We, we don't have a tree up yet. So we're getting, well, we do have a little one, I guess. We put up a little one in the kids' room and stuff, but that doesn't count. So anyway, we hope you have a great uh holiday season ahead of you, and we're excited for Tuesday night, and we're excited to walk forward into the Christmas season with you, and we have some exciting things to tell you about um, as we get into that, especially next week. But this week, we're wrapping up a conversation that we've been having over the course of our entire year. So we've, again, been weaving in and out of what this passage is called the Sermon on the Mount. And so we spent a lot of time looking at these three chapters and wrapping them up and talking about all the things that Jesus talked about and One of the things I want us to remember is that this is one of the first times that Jesus really preaches a sermon to a lot of people. And there were a lot of different people listening. There were people that didn't like him, that did like him, that had already decided to follow him, that were trying to figure out what they believed about him. And so as we listen to this and as we've gone through this, we've challenged you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can evaluate what you think about him. You can figure out, do I agree with what's happening? Do I agree with what he says? Do I agree with what he stands for? Or... Do I not agree with what he stands for? And if you've already decided to be a follower of Jesus, we can then go through and reevaluate, does my life actually look like I believe what he says? I believe what he's telling me to do and to believe and the way that he's calling me to act. And so as we get down to these last few verses in chapter 7, that's kind of where Jesus wraps up. He comes and has the conversation and says, all of these things I've just talked about, now they have to take root. Now they have to actually show up in your life. And he encourages us with what to do with what he has just taught us. And so we're going to start our conversation today in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 21. Remember, as always, we're going to put the words up on the screen for you. If you would like to go to mygracefamily.church, you can go to our follow along tab. All the verses, all the notes will be there for you to follow along with as well. But starting in Matthew 7, verse 21, it says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Going into verse 22, it says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. So Jesus starts off verse 21. He says, not everyone who calls me Lord is actually going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say that there will be some who actually kind of have a what they think is a really good resume, right? We've done these things. We've prophesied. We've cast out demons. We've performed miracles, even they say, in your name. And we'll get to what Jesus says about this in a minute. And if you're like me and you start to read this passage, you start to get a little uneasy of some of these things and what Jesus is saying. I want us to remember something though. Jesus just recently, in a few verses prior, he just spoke about false prophets. So when we read these verses, don't forget that there was just this conversation that Jesus had about people who say that they're one thing, but actually they're another. 
They're, they're saying they're followers of Jesus. They're saying they're representatives of Jesus. They're saying that they're teaching the right thing, but they're actually teaching the wrong thing. And if we just go up a little higher in verses 15 and 16 of Matthew 7, this is what Jesus said about them. He said, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is the way that they act. And so number one, when we when we start to read these verses, remember that there was just this conversation about people who were actually the opposite of Jesus. They seemed to be someone who would agree with Jesus, but they weren't. And so he's also making a comment about those people that think, even maybe they think in their minds that they're representative of Jesus, but they're not. But then we go on to verse 23, and he says this, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So even though we're thinking about false teachers, this, this is these verses, 21 and 22, should make us kind of pause and think. And say, these people that say Lord, they actually call Jesus Lord, they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That should make us pause a little bit and say, okay, which camp do I fall into? What, where would I fall on this thing? And if I look at, and maybe you were like me, especially when I was younger, I would see these verses and I would look at this resume that they seem to have where they've prophesied and they've cast out demons, they've performed miracles, and I would go, I've never cast out any demons. I've never had any miracles. I've never done this. So does that mean that my faith is less than those people? And those people that even get to that point that actually do those things, are they're not getting in. So if I haven't done any of those things, am I not getting in? That's where we could go if we read this passage this way, right? But let me, let, let's just think about this for a minute. These, these people that claim Jesus as Lord and say they've done these things, what Jesus is going to get to the heart of and, and what we're going to get to in a minute is, is the understanding that they never actually knew him. And I think that we can see this in, in our lives. Maybe we know people or we know of people that maybe will even say that they follow Jesus. But if you look at their life, it's not really that way. All right, not trying to be judgmental, not trying to cast judgment on anybody, but I've seen people, known people who will even pray to Jesus. And then you look at their lives and just say, "You, I don't see the evidence of that. The decisions you make, the way that you live, the way that you interact with other people, it just doesn't say that you are identified as a Jesus follower. And so there would be people, maybe they're famous, maybe they're not, who, who claim the name of Jesus, and yet it doesn't have any impact on their lives. Jesus is saying those are the people that would say, Lord, but they don't. I don't know them. And also we come back to this idea of prophesying and casting out demons and things like that. And I, I want to give you an example. And um, this person that I'm going to tell you about, I believe that they are a follower of Jesus, but I think that some of these things that we see that maybe would be a part of our spiritual resume don't always add up exactly the way we think. And I had a student um, a couple years ago who I taught in my class when I was teaching high school. She was a great student. She was always taking good notes. She always did well in the class. She was one of those students that like if no one else knew the answer, I could call on her and she would automatically know the answer. And so she did really well. And she even came back after the class and just said how much of an impact it had on her. So it made me feel really good as a teacher. Well, interestingly enough, that was a couple years ago. I haven't talked to her. She's gotten married, moved to California, all stuff. And so a couple of weeks ago, she sent me a message through Instagram. And her message was, hey, just check, you know, she just said hi. And then she said, I believe that I received a word from God that you are supposed to come to the West Coast and be a pastor. 
So this is my resignation. I'm just joking. That's not true. I said very kindly, I said, hey, I don't know if you knew this. I think she still thought I was in Pottstown at the time. I said, I don't know if you knew this. I filled her in on my life over the last year. And I just said, I, I don't have any confirmation of that on my side of things. In fact, I would say that I could name thing after thing after thing. It's a confirmation that I am supposed to be where I am currently. And I just said, I don't, I don't see that. It's just not the case. So what am I saying? I'm not disparaging her at all. She, I believe, believed 100% what she was saying to me was true. But my point is, what she prophesied, I don't think was true. And so at times we can look at some of these things and say, well, I've done this or I've accomplished that or something like that. And it, it's, it's not actually from God. I don't think she was doing anything wrong, but at the same time, I didn't see it as a true prophecy. And there are times we can look at some of these evidences. I mean, Jesus does say we will know people by the way that they act, right? Look at the fruit in their lives. And that is true. But at times, some of those indicators we have to go back to and see, are they really actually truly from God. And what I, I believe and what I think we know are these two things I'm going to say next. First of all, action does indicate belief, right? What we do is true of what, like, we'll prove we believe by what we do. If I say something, but I don't back it up with my action, then you're not going to believe that I believe it. And then this would be true too. Words without action are empty. So if I say something and I don't back it up, it's just, you're, you're just thinking I'm empty. I would have empty words. There's two phrases that I came up with that I think will help us understand this. And the first one is very simple. I love you, right? Now let's think about this in a romantic way. So if you've ever been in a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, you've been married and someone has said they love you. In fact, saying I love you is a big milestone in a relationship, right? We even asked that at the marriage retreat. We said, who was the first one to say I love you? You remember this. It's a big thing. And so when someone says I love you. It's an important moment. But if I said I love you to my wife and I, but everything I did was the opposite, she would have a problem with that. If I was disrespectful to her, if I put her down, if I, all my actions were the opposite, she would look at me and she would say, you're saying you love me, but your actions are saying otherwise. We understand this to be true. If you say you love somebody, especially in a romantic relationship, then your actions have to match up with that. That's what Jesus is saying us. And then the other phrase, even if you've not been married, you probably had this one happen. You're my best friend. Maybe you've had someone say it to you. I had an awkward conversation with somebody one time where they, someone looked at me and said, you're my best friend. And in my head, I didn't say it out loud because I'm not a jerk. I said, you're not my best friend. I'm sorry. Like I have a better friend. So like, it's one of those weird things where you, you, you evaluate, right? Like you've maybe had that conversation and you evaluate what, are they your best friend? Like, what have you done to say you're my best friend? Because if they're your best friend, they're that person that if you're, you say, I'm going to do something stupid, they're either going to say I'm in or should you, and you actually listen to them. They're the person that when you're in trouble, they show up, right? When someone breaks up with you, they're the one who comes and hangs out with you. I've told you before, my best friend's name is Mike. He lives in Wisconsin. One of the things that makes Mike my best friend is when my mom passed away. I told you this story before. My mom passed away when I was 20. He flew from Wisconsin to come home. And if, if something happened to him and I needed to get to Wisconsin, I'd look at Becca, I'd be like, I'm going to Wisconsin. Like that's what best friends do. We don't talk every day, but we show up. That, that idea, like there has to be tangible information to say, you are, if you're my best friend, like I have to be able to show why you're my best friend. 
Listen, we, we believe and understand that words have to take action in order to be true. We can say a lot of things, but if we don't back it up with the way that we live or the way that we actually show it, then it's not true. Now, if you're like me and you're starting to process what we're talking about, okay, so Jesus says, People are going to call on me as Lord, but they're not going to get in. And what we say is evidence of getting in is the way that we actually back it up. Okay, let me extrapolate that out further. Does that mean that my actions are actually what save me? Good question. But I want to share with you a quote that was from a book that we've been reading through as one of our resources as we preached on this topic over the course of the year. It's from an author named D.A. Carson. And he goes on and he says this, It is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. So let's think through that for a minute. No one, he says, no one enters the kingdom because of obedience. What we do does not save us. However, no one also enters the kingdom who has not actually put into practice what they've been called to do. He goes on to say this, it is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ but it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience. Let me think about it this way. I don't, I don't know about you, but I think as I've gotten older, it got easier for me to understand why my parents told me to do the things they told me to do. So when I was a, a young kid and, and parents told me to do something, I would have my own ideas about what was going on, and I would say, I don't believe you, and I would do the opposite. Right? Maybe some of you have done the same thing. But as I've gotten older and I've started to understand more, even though my dad would never say today that I need to be obedient to him, if he came to me and said, hey, I, I think you should do this, or I think maybe you're off track on this one, like I would listen. Because I can see the track record of what he's done and how he's raised me and what his life looks like and all those things. And what I think Carson is saying is what we actually truly understand what Jesus has done for us, that means that there's going to be a response. That it's going to lead to an understanding and a movement in the direction of, I get who Jesus is, I get what he did for me, and my obedience is in response to understanding that he believes and knows and has done what is best for me. And so in that moment, I will be obedient. It doesn't mean that our obedience saves us, but it means that our obedience is proof of our salvation. The danger, though, what Jesus is talking about is when we say we love Jesus without any actions to prove it. That's the danger. And listen, I, I think that this is not always a danger as much for people that live and grow up outside the church. I think this can be even more of a danger for people like me that grew up in the church, right? I got saved when I was six. I didn't have, at least what I know of, a too long of a, like a big sin record before I was six, right? I didn't, I wasn't addicted to anything. I didn't steal anything. Well, maybe I stole a little bit, but like I, my brother was two, so I hadn't even like fought him yet. Like there's this, I didn't have a big list. So my, my life didn't have to make a huge change when I was six. And it's easy if you, if you grow up in church at times, you just kind of be like, okay, well, this is like the way that I stay and this is what I do. And there, but there's never actually like a diving in. Like you can actually go to church your whole life and not decide to actually follow Jesus. Because we can go through the motions of, I'm doing like what the checkbox is, and I think I'm doing what Jesus says or what, what my pastor or what my parents told me to do, but we've never actually made that decision to hand our life over to Jesus. 
And the danger is when we say we love him, but there's not any evidence of that movement. And so what I did was, this is not a list that is all-encompassing, right? But I made a list of just questions that we could process and ask ourselves. Because I think the words on these questions identify, like they, they sum up Jesus. So the first thing maybe we should ask ourselves is, are we loving or am I loving? Am I a person that would be defined by love? Like someone would know me or know you and we would feel, they would feel that we are a loving person. Are we merciful? Do we show mercy to other people? Is it quick in our minds to show mercy even when that is not deserved? Am I forgiving? Is forgiveness something I'm quick to jump to even when Somebody doesn't deserve it, right? That idea of mercy or forgiveness. Are those things that I I move towards quickly or am I someone that holds a grudge? Am I patient? Do I give people time? Am I generous? Do I give of my time and energy and resources because I know what Jesus gave to me and I believe that everything God has blessed me with, I should use to bless other people? Am I humble? And the last one is, am I dependent on Jesus? Like I said, this list is not exhaustive, right? There's many other things that could be added to this list. But when we think it through and kind of process what we want to look like, I think Jesus was all of these things. And so the question is, are, are we looking like Jesus in this way? Because what we know is true is that when our actions don't match our words, it becomes clear what our intentions are. Maybe you've had a situation like that where somebody told you they were going to do something. They said, hey, I'll help you with that project. Or I'll be there for you at a certain time. Or uh, we're going to do this in the future. We're going to go to this thing. And, and, and on and on, you come back to them. Can we do that thing? Can we go over here? Can we, oh, time hasn't worked out. Or I haven't had a chance to. Or I've just been a little bit too busy. Or I just haven't had the resources. Or... And eventually, maybe that conversation would get so far down the line that you would look at them and you would say, you never really intended to do that, did you? Because they've never actually stepped up and done it. I think this is part of what Jesus is saying in this passage. Right? You said you loved me, and yet you never took the steps to actually make that true. So what... How do we do this, right? I just gave you a list that we can think through and kind of process if we look like Jesus or not. But what's something tangible that we can do to actually think through whether we look like Jesus or not? And right, this is a hard one because this is a hard conversation to have, but I think this is one of the truest ways to do it. The people closest to you can tell you if you look like Jesus. If you were going to have a conversation with somebody, you should talk to her whether I look like Jesus or not, right? She has to deal with me every day. So if we go down that list and we say, is Corey doing all these things? Not perfect at them. Is Corey attempting to do all these things the way that Jesus would? That's the person to talk to. So if you're married, guess what? It's your spouse. Do I look like Jesus in these ways? If you have a roommate or you have siblings or you have a best friend who actually is your best friend, right? You can have that conversation with them. This is why it's so important that we say also that community is so important. Because even if you're not married or you don't have that person that lives with you and sees you every day, you, you invite people in to be a part of the conversation with you that are able to then say, when they look at maybe this list or another way and they look at you and they say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Because you're not doing so hot in this area. 
and they have access to you. That's part of being in community and being a part of a relationship where someone can speak truth into your life and have the ability to call you to look more like Jesus. So guess what? If you want to have that conversation with the person closest to you, go for it. It can be a little scary, right? Like, they, what are they going to say? What, what could be even more scary is what did they actually ask you to change, right? And say, I have to be more like him or I have to change in order to look more like him. But it would be a good conversation to have. If we continue on in the passage in Matthew 7, we go to verses 24 and 25. Jesus goes on to say this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. I want to go quickly to Luke 6, verse 48, because he has the same passage, but he says it a little differently. Luke says this in verse in 6:48. He says, It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. I really love the way that Luke says that because he talks about this aspect of digging, right? You know if you build something on sand, it's not going to stay. Anyone who's ever built a sandcastle knows when the water shows up, it's gone, right? It's not going to survive. So he says you've got to actually dig. There has to be an active movement to be able to build this thing the way that it's supposed to be built. So what do we learn? Digging is hard. Doing the work to dig to build something that's going to last is not easy. I remember this one of my earliest memories. I was two years old and my house was being built. My parents built a house in Coatesville and it was being built. It was open land. I just remember like it's the earliest memory I ever have is just kind of being there as the bulldozers are digging down deep to get the foundation. And my parents obviously took me as a two-year-old to show me the bulldozers, right? That was cool. So they dug. It's hard. It's difficult to get down to the foundation where we need to be, but it also is necessary. It's necessary that we would build on the rock instead of building on the sand. Well, why does Jesus say that? Well, if we continue on in verses 26 and 27, it says, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand and when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I also remember when I was a kid that when we would do Sunday school, let's see if any of you did this, we would go to our separate classes and then we would come back for singing time. Did anyone ever do that? Same kind of system? No, that was just my church? All right, cool. So we would go and then we would come back and we would sing. And we would sing the song about, we would do the motions, right? Wise man built his house upon the what? Rock. And the rains came what? Down. And the floods came. And the house on the rock stood. Okay, so if you didn't grow up in church, you all think we're nuts now. But... That was the song. We would come and we would sing that and we would think about it and we would go, okay, this is the truth that they were trying to teach us, that we would, if we built on the rock, that that house would stand. And as you sang that as little kids, it was fun because of all these things. But listen, Jesus is saying that this matters greatly, that what we build on matters deeply. And that these people that were at the beginning, at verse 21, that say, Lord, Lord, have built on sand. They've not built on who Jesus is. 
And so when he comes to them and they come to him and they have this conversation, he says, you didn't listen to me. You didn't build the relationship with me. You didn't dig deep and build on me. You built on something else. I want to say something that I kind of use an illustration. This might be one of those times like, what is Pastor Corey saying? But I want to explain it. It says that I just said this, your foundation matters more than the color of your walls. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. When you buy a house, not in this market, but in a normal market, you would usually have an inspection done, okay? And they would look at what? The foundation. That would be one of the things that they would look at. They would want to make sure that that's not going to crumble on you <laughs> in the next couple of years or at any time, right? They're not going to come in and go, ah, oh, that blue paint, that should be red, right? It's not important. What we do too many times, and this is what these people at the beginning, verses 21 and 22, when they show up and they say, look at all these things I've done. They're talking about the color of the walls that they built on their faith and not talking about the foundation. They're saying, look at what I did. Look at what I claimed to do through Jesus. Look at what that got me. And they're not saying, look at the foundation I've built and look at the way my life looks because I've decided to follow Jesus. What we do with our foundation matters more than what we do on the outside. We are going to show people our faith, hopefully. And that's good. And they should be able to see that we're followers of Jesus through what we do. But at the same time, we have to be paying attention to our foundation. And listen, this is where I, we can only do so much, right? Me, Pastor Andrew, the elders, we can teach you scripture. We can point you in the right direction. We can call, say, say, this is who we want you to be. And at the same time, this can only be done with you. Like only you and Jesus can have this conversation and know what your foundation is actually built on. We can't do that for you. It has to be something that is done in the quiet of your heart because what people can't see matters more than what people can see. When you get to heaven, it's not going to be a survey. Who saw Pastor Corey do good things, right? Oh, that gets him into heaven. It's not about that. It's about who Jesus says I am and the conversation that I've had with him and the relationship I've had with him. We've even been thinking this through over the last couple of months. The elders and I and Pastor Andrew have sat down and we've processed What's the direction of our church over the next five to 10 years? We've been putting a lot of work into that and trying to figure this out. And one of the things that you've heard as a part of GFC, and it's going to continue to be a part of GFC, is that we want people to live Jesus-centered lives. That's the vision of our church, is that anyone that comes through GFC, they would live Jesus-centered lives. That's the vision we have for everyone that walks through our doors or connects with us at all. But we've also talked about our purpose. So like, what does that mean? How do we get there? How do we get to that vision? What does that mean we have to do now? And so our purpose statement, this is what we would say, that we are a community that exists to establish every person, child, family, and marriage on the foundation of Jesus. Why? Because we believe these verses are true. We believe that in order for you to live a Jesus-centered life, that you have to be built on that foundation. So guess what? That's going to inform what we do downstairs with the kids. We want them to be built on the foundation of Jesus. It means that's what we're going to do when we do family ministry. We want families to be built on that foundation. It's what we're going to do when it comes to marriage. It's what we're going to do in just personal conversations with you. We're going to build on the foundation of Jesus because we know that that's the thing that's going to sustain and cause you to live a life 
that looks like Jesus, because we know that this is true. If your foundation is anything but Jesus, your faith can and will crumble. We see this a lot in the world around us, and even in Christianity. Like, that's not an out there thing. That's a, like, as a part of Christianity, we see a lot of people that are getting to the point that whatever they built their faith on has let them down, and they walk away. Well, why does that happen? It happens because people build their faith on what their church taught them, what their pastor said, what their parents taught them, the way that they were just brought up. And then something happens and that person or that thing isn't able to answer the issues that they walk through. And then when that happens, it crumbles. Why? Because they didn't dig. They built on sand. They built on something other than Jesus. And when those difficult times come, whether it was a struggle in life or it was actually when we get to meet Jesus, those things crumble because those things were not their salvation. It has to be Jesus. We come to the end of Matthew 7, the last two verses, 28 and 29. It says, it says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. They said, this guy, he's different. There's something different about him. Listen, that, that idea that Jesus would be different and the difference that they recognized in him is transferable to us. People can look at us and say, there's, if they don't know Jesus, like there's something different about that person. There's something they have that, that I don't. And what is that? That's where we get to have the conversation about Jesus. You know, one of the things that is true, I think, of me is that if you've known, you've known me for a year, you've known me for five minutes, you probably know what sports teams I root for, okay? It's just true. Why? Because I love watching sports, I think it's fun, and I am loyal to a fault to the teams that I root for, okay? It's caused me a lot of pain in my life, but I'm going to stay there, okay? But you know it to be true, because my belief matches my action. I, we've had conversations about other family members that want to put other teams' gear on my children. It will not happen because it's not okay with me. You know this, right? Because my actions match my belief. Now the question is, right, this is going to sound really cheesy, but do people know that I love Jesus as much as I love those teams? I have a friend. He was a, a pastor friend with me. I, I worked with him. Some of you know him. His name is Gordy. Gordy is the billboard of Christianity in the most positive way ever. I don't know that he's ever had a conversation where the name Jesus hasn't come out of his mouth. And he, I mean, he wears the funniest t-shirts. If there's a Christian t-shirt out there, Gordy owns it. And he wears them every day. But he's just that person. There's no way in my mind that Gordy gets to heaven and says, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, I don't know you. Like, Jesus knows Gordy, and Gordy knows Jesus. It's for sure. That's what this passage is talking about. That it would be so evident in who we are, not overbearing, not ridiculous, not corny, not whatever, but like just obvious to people. That who a part of who we are, a part of what we've built our life on is Jesus. Not that we're perfect, not that we do everything right, but that our effort is to be founded on him and to live the way that he has called us to live.
that it would be so obvious to people that we love him, that we know him, and he knows us. So how do we do that? What does that mean? Just to go on some of the analogies I've talked, Jesus talked about and I talked about today, there's, there's two things. First of all, you're going to have to get dirty and you're going to have to dig. You're going to have to build your foundation on more than sand. And that means we're going to have to do difficult things. No follower of Jesus has ever had the easiest life. God's going to ask you to do something that's uncomfortable. God's going to ask you to do something, or following Jesus is going to become something that goes down a path that you didn't expect, and it's not the easiest path to go on. In fact, it would be much easier to go the other way. But are you willing to do it? Are you willing to dive in and go that direction with him? And then the second thing is this, that the foundation has to be a priority. What we're founding on has to be a priority to us. What we're built upon has to be that priority. So I have, I have one more question to ask that just would maybe help us frame some of this out. And that question is this, what dictates your spiritual practices? You know, in I've used my wife a lot as an example today. I'm going to do it one more time with our anniversary. Is that okay? Okay, great. So in just like the next month, we are going to be married for 10 years, which is awesome. We're happy about that. It's good. So 10 years, right? And so we're getting ready to celebrate that, and it's awesome, and we're excited. But here's what I know would be true. If I got her a gift or we went out or whatever we're going to do on our anniversary, and she said, oh, that's great. And I said, yeah, well, I didn't get you anything last year, and you were mad, so I guess I'll get you something this year. That would not go over well. The motivation there is supposed to be that I love her. I want to honor her. I want to show my love for her. I want to have our relationship grow. I want all of those things to be true. I'm not just doing it out of obligation. So go back to the question, what dictates our spiritual practices? Is it out of an obligation where we say, oh, I guess I'll do it because Jesus will be upset at me if I don't? Is it out of an obligation where we just say, well, I guess I have to, so that's what I'll do? Or are the spiritual practices that we're talking about, going to church or reading our Bible or praying or going to small group or interacting with people or having a gospel conversation, all those things, do they happen because we are we love Jesus and we want to pour into that relationship or do they happen just because we have to? I'm not saying if we only do those things because we have to that you're going to be one of those people that's thrown away from Jesus in those verses. But here's what I am saying. If our motivation is only obligation, then we have some work to do. Because those things are foundational to the relationship and they should be something that we want to do because we want the relationship with Jesus to grow. Listen, this these verses in 21 and 22 are not meant to scare us. And if you have decided to follow Jesus, and that is a clear determination in your life, you're safe. But at the same time, we have to evaluate, do our lives look that way? Do the decisions we make, the way we interact with other people, the way that we decide to build our schedule, does it reflect the fact that we know Jesus and he knows us and we are committed to that relationship because we know what he has done for us? You know, we're leaving behind this Sermon on the Mount and we're going to move away from it. We're not going to come back to the Sermon on the Mount a lot next year. I would encourage you at times, go back and read through it again. 
check back in with those things. Go back and watch the sermons on YouTube if you want. See how you're doing in those areas. Don't let these things go because this is what Jesus has called us to. He says, if we look at all those things that he has taught us to do, he says, if we're smart, if we're wise, we're going to do what he calls us to do. And we're going to recognize who he is, what he's done for us, and we're going to put that into practice. We're going to build into that relationship. But the foolish people are going to look at that and just say, oh, yeah, I love Jesus, but I'm going to go over here and live life the way I want to. It's not what he's called us to do. So I would ask us and plead with us to recognize who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and that we would put into practice the things he has taught us through the Sermon on the Mount. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we are grateful for the authors that were able to be present at the Sermon on the Mount to be recording what you taught and that we continue to have access to those words here thousands of years later. And we ask that we would, in all honesty, be like the person who built their house on the rock. That we would not focus on building things that are going to wash away. That we would not found our faith on what a church says or what a pastor says or what a parent says or what a teacher says or anything like that. But we would simply found it on what you have taught us and who you've called us to be. We ask that the evidence, if we've decided to follow Jesus, that the evidence would be there in our lives to show that we 100% are committed to you and have a relationship with I ask if there's anybody here or listening online or wherever that hasn't made that decision, that they would evaluate that and that they would make a decision to follow you because they believe you're the strongest foundation they can build their life on. We're thankful for a community of people that we can lean into and, and we can look at one another in the eye and just challenge each other to look more like you. And we pray that that would be the practice of our church now and into the coming years. In Jesus' name, amen.